Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Death. It actually starts with a cemetery and a gravestone and a 17-year-old with words that can't really be repeated at church. My throat hurt from crying, my voice hurt from screaming, and my heart hurt from missing her. A girl needs a mom. 13-year-olds with too many questions about too many things need moms because they have all the answers. They know how to make sense of everything at a time in life when nothing makes sense. But she was gone, and the little fire she started in my heart about God was dimming, with the drugs was dimming, with the alcohol was dimming, with the fights with my father dimming, until I was left alone in the dark cursing at God, throwing rocks at a big cross in a graveyard, begging and pleading for answers. What does your mother look like? My mother had red, red hair and blue, blue eyes and the loveliest freckles imaginable. Her name was Kathleen, raised Irish Catholic in Jacksonville, Florida. She met Jesus in a small church meeting in an upstairs room of a storefront in Jonesboro, Arkansas. He swept her off of her feet. She fell in love with him. She was never the same after that. I loved to watch my mother worship. She would raise her hands, palms stretch wide, as if to give the Holy Spirit more room to land. Her death was so unexpected, it was life-shattering. She died after giving birth to a sibling that died too. I do not have words for how my heart broke that night. Later, around one in the morning, I went outside and screamed as loud as I could. I had to release what I was feeling. I didn't know what else to do. I was 13, Aaron was 11, Brett was six, and Caitlin was four. And the headstone of her grave read, Love Jesus more than life. And it was at that headstone, years later, that I found myself weeping, angry, and exhausted. I collapsed against it, unable to do anything but breathe jagged breaths. I was a mess. It seemed that my life could be divided into two time frames, life with mom and life after. Life with mom had been meaningful and safe. Life after was a bit like living in a fog, without light, with no direction. Everything I had done to try and make things better had failed. I was young and angry and miserable, and I knew it. In the midst of all, all that rawness, I realized I was whispering, I need you, Jesus. If you're really real, and if my mom loves you so much, then please show me who you are. It was then, at 4 a.m., on my mother's grave, that I was wrapped up in what can only be described as a warm embrace. Even with my eyes closed in the dark of that cemetery, it seemed that I was surrounded with light, and I had the sensation of being lifted up and held. I began to weep again at the overwhelming sense of compassion and love and peace that was washing over me. I kept saying, it's you, it's you, it's really you. After a while, I opened my eyes and quietly asked Jesus to forgive me, asked him to be Lord of my life. Nothing fancy. I don't even really remember what I said, but I haven't been the same since. I'm a mom now. 
and it's my turn to be the one that helps create a fire in my son's heart. Granted, I have screwed things up so much since then, I've wondered if God hasn't thrown up his hands in exasperation, but I always come back to that night. It was as if he was holding me, and crying too. It was as if he was saying, I know, I know how much it hurts to lose the one you love. My story starts with death, but it ends with life. This is my story. Powerful story. And that is really the point of the whole plunge message. Um, that God comes along and shrinks the categories and faith gets really personal somehow and suddenly the objections that you have suddenly the obstacles suddenly the questions while they're big and they might not go away they shrink they shrink enough that you are uh, you're able to put the pieces together and make some sense of some things let's uh, it's so heavy right now after that story let me lighten it up a little bit with a baseball story let's talk about baseball that'll be fun let's talk about baseball Let's talk about hitting a 90-mile-per-hour fastball, okay? How many of you have watched television, watched a baseball game on television, and you know that place where they put how fast the pitch was? They pitched the ball, and almost they put a jugs gun on it now, and every pitch almost they show you how fast the ball is going. Have you seen that? Seen that? You ever seen a ball that got over 90 miles an hour? Have you seen that? You ever seen someone hit a ball when it said it was traveling 90 miles an hour? Have you seen that on television? Okay, I want to read you something and keep that in mind, okay? Yale physicist Robert Adair studied the science behind hitting a big league fastball. A 90-mile-per-hour fastball travels 60 and a half feet in 400 milliseconds. That is less than half a second from the hand of the pitcher till it crosses home plate. Among his findings, here's what he discovered. Half the flight time, which is 200 milliseconds, Half the flight time is spent, in the, uh, spent by the batter trying to find the ball in the air and to get the image in his brain and to decide whether or not to swing. So 400 milliseconds from the pitcher's hand to home plate and 200 milliseconds of that time is trying to decide, the batter's trying to decide, what do I do? Okay? If the batter decides to swing, he spends another 100 milliseconds deciding to swing the bat, high, low, inside, outside, uh, into the strike zone. So another 100 milliseconds is, is taken up basically trying to decide, do I, do I swing the bat or do I not swing the bat? The swing itself takes 150 milliseconds, but during the first 50, the batter can stop the swing. Beyond 50 milliseconds, the bat is moving at 70% of its final speed and cannot be checked. Adair says a seven millisecond variation will cause the hitter to either hit a foul ball or miss the ball altogether. He concludes then that hitting a 90 mile per hour fastball is impossible. Yale physicist, smart guy, way smarter than me, probably way smarter than most of us in the room this morning. Smart guy. Can't hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. But you told me, before I read this to you, that you'd seen a guy hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. They played baseball yesterday. 
Tons and tons of 90-mile-an-hour fastballs got hit yesterday in the ballgame. Because it can't be done. It, look, it takes 450 seconds from the, from, for, for a batter to decide and whether or not he's going to swing, where to swing, how to swing, decide whether he's going to check the swing, and the, the physics say that the ball travels faster than that, that the ball gets from the pitcher's hand to home plate in 400 milliseconds. So the, the numbers don't add up. So it's got to be impossible, right? Nobody can hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Nobody's buying that this morning. Nobody can get up here on the stage and argue with the physics part of it. I, I, I mean, maybe you can, but I, I doubt many of us can get up here and say, you know, I know the inner workings of, of how all that's going, and I can do the math, and I can do what Mr. Adair did, and I can, you know, he's wrong here, and he's wrong here. And I doubt very many of us could get up and argue the physics of it with the professor. You would say, well, you know, I don't know where he's wrong, and I can't dip into milliseconds and how fast the ball travels and what's going on at 90 miles an hour, but I've seen a guy hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. In fact, I've seen a guy hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. I've seen a guy hit a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. Shoot, they got guys in the pros now that can throw it over 100, and those balls get hit. See, you've, you've seen it happen. When you move from 90 miles per hour to 95 miles per hour, it's almost like putting a blindfold on and just going up there and swinging. I mean, you've seen it happen. The odds of you hitting the ball are about the same at that point. It's impossible, and yet none of us buy that. Why? None of us, none of us buy that it is impossible to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Let me explain why. Because we are smart enough to know that even though we can't explain it, it's undeniable. You can't explain it. I can't explain it. We, we can't argue with the good professor. But we know that 90-mile-an-hour fastballs can get hit. And not just by one guy, by a whole bunch of people who are really, really good at what they do. And oh, by the way, those 90-mile-an-hour fastballs aren't just going fast. <laughs> they're curving and they're dipping and they're diving. They're moving in and out across the plate. So in the realm of life, we're smart enough to know I'm not going to opt for the unexplainable over the undeniable. We do that all the time in life. Here's the thing. We opt for the undeniable over the unexplainable all the time. I am wearing a microphone this morning that, that hooks to my ear, and, and those in the back row, sometimes I've been told it's hard to even see it. But when they handed this to me and said, Brett, clip this on your ear, and plug it into the little battery pack and it's got a little wireless thing in it and it's got an antenna and it's going to speak to the sound booth in the back and when you talk it's going to magnify your voice I didn't make anybody explain to me all the physics behind how this works to know that that before I would put it on and say okay I'll talk into it I didn't no one had to sit down and say okay now you understand the frequencies and nobody did that with me I can't explain how this works. I'm fascinated by things like this. I can't explain how it works. But it doesn't mean that I deny that it works. I still put it on every Sunday, get up here and talk, and that's how you hear me. I, I can't explain to you how a car works. I don't, anybody knows me knows I know very little about how to fix a car. But I know I got in my car this morning, I turned the key over and it started right up and I drove, to, I drove to work. It's not like I had to have somebody explain to me, this is how a car works, 
and I said, no, I'm not, I'm not starting the car. It's not, it won't work. You're going to have to explain it to me before I can do it. That's not what happened at all. See, in science class, they taught you how air moving over a wing can, can lift, can give lift and can make it. So we know, we know that there's a way for air to move over a wing and lift a plane. We know that. Now, we can't give you, you know, unless you really paid attention in your science class, <laughs> unless, unless IPS was really a lot of fun for you, um, you might be able to explain that, but most of us can't explain that. But I've flown enough to know that when I get on an airplane, even though that thing weighs tons and tons, and you look at it and you go, how in the world is that thing ever going to make it from point A to point B, be, you know, five miles in the air? How is it going to do that? I can't explain that to you. You can't explain that to me. But you know what? Those of us who've flown, got on an airplane, and flew, we did not opt for the unexplainable. We opted for the undeniable, which is planes take off and land every day of my life. And I've flown a lot. I've flown enough to know to be able to make this statement I have never one time stood in the airport and watched somebody hesitate to get on an airplane I have watched them hesitate to get on an airplane but not saying all the while I'm not getting on until you explain to me how this works doesn't happen they may not be real crazy about getting on an airplane but they get on because they believe what everybody else believes is getting on one it's going to take me from here to here why? Because it's undeniable. It works. It happens all the time. All I'm saying is that most adults become Christians because something happens that makes it so personal and the reality of Christianity becomes so undeniable. But here's the other side of the equation. So many adults become Christians when their objections, uh, with their objections and, and, and what they say is that many of the unexplainable things don't remain unexplainable. They, 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 they come to Christ and, and they've got all these unexplainable things and then after a while, those things either shrink or they kind of just fade. There's a story that I want to look at this morning in the New Testament. John chapter 9. If you have your Bible, turn there. John chapter 9. We're going to look at the whole chapter. It illustrates what, what happens when a person says, I will not let the undeniable guide me i'm going to stick to the unexplainable i'm not going to listen to the fact that there's an undeniable thing um, it, this story is all about that and you're going to see how absurd it can get when someone refuses to move off of the unexplainable when when they can't focus in on what's undeniable they stick with what's unexplainable things get pretty absurd and you're going to see what i mean as we go through this story john chapter 9 verse 1 as he which is jesus went along he saw a man blind from birth his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because the thought was, if you were blind, somebody's done something wrong. It's either his, his dad or his mom, or, or he's done something that he shouldn't have. Somebody's made a mistake somewhere. And one of Jesus' missions in life was to come and explain to people what God was like. And so here are some people who have an uninformed view of God, and, and either you know, he sinned or his parents sinned, but something is not right. And so Jesus comes along. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. In other words, wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. But this happened, this man being blind, so that, and he's about to give you the purpose, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, this is hard to follow. So 
Jesus, what you're saying is that this guy spent his whole life blind because you wanted to make a point. Jesus said, pretty much, yes. I see what's interesting to me is that there are an awful lot of people who say they don't believe in God, and the reason they say they don't believe in God is because God didn't do something they wanted him to do. But he didn't do it the way that they wanted it done. And so they just decide they're going to be mad at him and not believe in him. It, it, you know, it, it's... You, you, it, it, it just fascinates me how we can, we can be that way. So he's not blind because he sinned. He's not blind because his parents sinned. He's blind because God wanted to make a point. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. And they're going, wait a minute, weren't we just talking about a blind guy? And Jesus did this all the time. He would just kind of take a right turn, and, and the disciples had a hard time following him. And this is kind of one of those places, you know, where they wanted to say, Jesus, you know, stay on the subject. We're talking about a blind guy, and now you're talking about, you know, doing the work of him who sent you. What, you know, what's going on? As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And then Jesus makes one of the most arrogant statements that he ever makes in Scripture. Verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's saying, look, until I got here, there was a lot of confusion about God, and, and I'm here to, to, to kind of clear up some of the confusion that, that exists where God is concerned. And when I leave, it's going to be dark again. There's going to be more confusion. And so, um, you need to pay attention while I'm here, Jesus is saying, because it's going to get dark. Case in point, if you think that someone is blind and that their sin caused it, when I leave, it's going to get dark again, and you're going to think those kind of things. So guys, pay attention. If Jesus wasn't crazy or extraordinarily arrogant, and if he was, in fact, the Son of God and could make a statement like this, here then is what it means. It means that the closest you will ever get to understanding God is found in the words of Jesus because he came as a light to expose what God is really like. This is why people who have all kinds of issues, all kinds of questions, will begin reading the Gospels. In fact, there are, are times, and I could list off about four or five names for you of guys, I've got books in my library written by these guys who were atheists who set out to disprove the resurrection, set out to disprove the Bible, uh, brought their best scholarly attributes to the subject, uh, the best of academia, and at the end of their uh, whole study, the conclusion was, no, I think he really is the Son of God. I think he did die on a cross. I think he did raise from the dead, and I think that makes a claim on my life. And so, God, here I am. I am yours. I want to be a Christ follower. I can give you the name. I, I mean, there's a lot of people, famous people, who have done that. Verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground. And apparently Mary had never covered with Jesus what we cover with our children, that you don't do that. He spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, which can we all agree is just kind of gross, and put it on the man's eyes. Stop and think about that for a minute. You're, what are you thinking if you're this guy, you've been blind your whole life, and you can hear Jesus spitting on the ground, He's making some pasty kind of stuff. And, and then you feel this stuff hitting your eyelids. And you're like, wait, whoa, stop that. It's just nasty. Verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the men went and washed and came home seeing. 
he's healed. And all of a sudden, a guy who's never seen a day in his life is obedient to Jesus, does what Jesus tells him to do. He comes back, and he's been blind his whole life, and now he can see. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Because now they can see him walking down the street. And he can see, and they think, whoa, that, you know, that, that looks like the same guy. So there's something going on, and they can see that there's a difference. And it doesn't really make sense, but there's, you know, he really does look like the guy that's been blind that's been sitting out there begging. Verse 9, some claim that he was the one that had been sitting begging. Others said, no, he only looks like him. Now, why? Here, here's why. Because that doesn't make any sense. We've, we've walked by this guy every day, and he's been begging. And he's not been able to see. And all of a sudden, we see him seeing, and that can't be the same guy. It doesn't add up in our mind the, the numbers. We crunch the numbers in our head, and it just doesn't match up that, that this guy that's been sitting blind begging for our money has now walked up and down the street he can obviously see it just doesn't make any sense because there's no way to explain it it's inexplainable but he himself insisted i am the man i am the blind beggar i am the guy that you saw sitting down there down the street asking you for money verse 10 how then were your eyes opened they demanded they wanted an explanation at, you know, and, that, and that's a fair question. He replied, let me tell you how it happened. You know, you can just kind of hear him. Let me, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. And the, the, fair, you know, the people are hearing that. No, no. What else you got? Because see, that doesn't help me. I, I want an explanation. And then they asked a really stupid question. Verse 12, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. And he could have added, I didn't see where he went. <laughs> Verse 13, they brought, the Pharisee, they brought uh, to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Because that is what you do when you see a miracle. You... you go to the Pharisees because the Pharisees were assigned to figure out who the Messiah was and this is obviously some kind of work that a Messiah might do and so they took the man who'd been born blind to the Pharisees and, and verse 14 and we we would do well to have some you know if we were really dramatic this morning we'd have some ominous music playing in the background about right now verse 14 now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath Okay, Jesus, you know you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That's a, that's a really big deal. Verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He, you know, he's going to rehearse this story again. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, at this point, the story just spirals into this you know, absurd dialogue. But here's where it's relevant for, for you and for me. Because all of us have a God box. We've all got this box, and we have decided that within this box are the parameters in which God works in my life. We, we all have this kind of way that we describe and define God. 
It's a box that says, here's how God works. Here's how I pray. Others have a God box that says, you know, here's how God works. And since he doesn't work this the way I think he ought to work, then, you know, there is no God. Some people would say, well, he, he didn't do what I wanted him to do, so there, there must not be a God. Or somebody will say, well, God may work that way for you, but he doesn't work that way for me, so therefore I don't believe. But we all have a God box. And the Pharisees had their own God box. Here's how God looks. Here's what God does. This is how he behaves. This is what we can expect from God. This is how we explain things. And, and what their God box said is, God would never, ever heal on the Sabbath day. And since that's what we're predisposed to believe, and since that's our worldview, then it is unexplainable that a man could be healed by God because God would not heal him on the Sabbath day. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Because, you know what? You Pharisees may not be able to explain it, <laughs> But what is undeniable is that this guy couldn't see and now he's walking up and down the street and he can obviously see. And, and even though nobody can explain it, what we see is undeniable. So they were divided, the end of verse 16 says. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. <laughs> And this guy's explained this over and over, and they're looking at this guy, and they're saying, you know, you tell us what happened when he's already told them what happened, but tell us in a way that fits into our God box. Tell us in a way that makes sense to us. Tell us in a way that we can explain it because we're having a hard time. The man replied, and, and you almost, I mean, you could almost hear this as a question. He is a prophet? You know, I, I, this guy, I, I don't know what you guys want me to say. I, 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 I've been blind my whole life. I, maybe he's a prophet. I don't know. All I know is that he comes along, and, and I've told you everything I know. He spit in the ground. He, he made this mud. He put it on my eyes, told me to go wash. I went and washed, and now I can see. I can't, you know, I can't give you an explanation. All I know is that I can see now. verse 18 the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents now they don't believe that this guy's been born blind because it doesn't fit into their box and it doesn't make sense in the world the way they see it and so the question is are you willing to acknowledge that your worldview, including your view of God may be wrong hard for us to say that isn't it is it possible that the way you have thought god worked and the way you've seen god and the way you've tried to explain things is it possible pharisees that you are wrong verse 19 they're, they're talking to the parents now is this your son they asked is this the one you say was born blind how is it now that now he can see. In other words, explain this in terms we can understand. Verse 20, we know he is our son. So let's start with what we know. This is our son. 
the parents answered. And we know he was born blind, so we, we know those two things, our son, and yes, he was born blind. Verse 21. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. So what you have there is you have a worldview in place, okay? There is an established worldview, and there is a, there is a box that defines how things are going to be. And we've already said that this guy can't be who he says he is. So if you say that he is, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue because we've got our mind made up. And you can bring us information, and you know if they don't fit into the puzzle, then it doesn't matter. We're, we, our mind's made up. It was an open and shut case on Jesus, and any explanation that included Jesus, it was just not an acceptable answer. Any ex explanation that included working on the Sabbath was not acceptable. We want to know how this happened. And, and so you've got to define it in terms that we deem are acceptable and that we can buy into. Maybe some of you were raised in homes where the, the explanation that God was involved somehow was not acceptable in your house. Maybe you were raised in a home where the name Jesus wasn't allowed and you became an adult and you inherited some of that skepticism and consequently you've walked around your whole life and you've said, you know what, I, um, I'm, I'm trying to explain everything outside the realm of God. Because in your mind that you just cannot factor that in. Could it be that there are things that just don't fit in but are undeniably true? And could it be that your heavenly father would like to pry open your God box and show you how much bigger, how much more present, how much more personal he is than maybe you ever imagined? It doesn't discount the importance of your question. It doesn't uh, diminish the question uh, you know, how did this happen? But when a, the person it happens to gives you an explanation, at some point you have to decide, okay, I'm either going to go with the explanation that I'm being given or I'm going to discount my explanation because it doesn't fit with my worldview. The Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue, verse 23. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. And listen to how they start. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. All right, we've asked you this before. This is your last chance. We're going to ask you one more time. How did this happen? Get God back in the box. Give glory to God. That's how they start. Put God back in the box. Give glory to God. Don't lie to us. So they're saying, quit giving credit to Jesus. You can't give glory to God and give credit to Jesus is what they're basically saying because we know he's a sinner. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, focus, guys, you can hear him say. Come on, focus with me. I was blind, now I see. This is what I'm certain of. This is undeniable. I was blind, now I see. You may not like the explanation, but could we at least have a small party for me? You know, can you just hear this guy? Does anybody, is anybody going to acknowledge the fact that I've been walking around, I haven't even been walking, I had to have help. I've been begging for money because I, can't, I haven't been able to see my whole life, 
and today this guy gives me back his sight and you guys are giving me a rash about this? Are we ever going to celebrate the fact that I can see now? And I know my explanation doesn't fit in your box. And I know you don't like what I'm saying about God. And I know you're talking about this being the Sabbath day. You're religious leaders. You're the ones that should be saying, you know, only God could do this. But maybe the God that you think exists isn't the God that does exist. Maybe the God that exists blows your God out of the water and is way bigger than the explanations you've got. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <laughs> if you're this guy, at some point, you've got to start getting, starting to lose your patience. He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And here's the jab. This is kind of funny. Do you want to become his disciples too? I mean, that's like sticking the knife in and turning it a little bit. You want to be one of his followers too? Then they hurled insults at him. It's the best day of his life. His whole world's been dark for the longest time. Jesus comes along with a little spit and paste. Now he can see, and these guys are throwing insults at him. This is the day that everything should have changed, and the religious leaders just can't get past it. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. And you want to say, now just hang on a minute. You know that, that God spoke to Moses? That was 800 years ago. Were you there? Do you know that? How do you know that? So you can accept on faith that God spoke to Moses, but you can't accept on faith that I met Jesus today and Jesus gave me sight. And you can almost hear this guy ask the question, don't you see the inconsistencies in what you're saying right now? You believe that God spoke to Moses by faith. Why can't you acknowledge that God is in your midst? Why are you being so stubborn? Why won't you let your pride go and acknowledge that you have been wrong? Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from? Yet he opened my eyes. In other words, a guy this powerful, a guy this smart, a guy with this kind of ability, and nobody can explain where he came from? The, you know, the, the, the implication there is, isn't it obvious where he comes from? Verse 31, we know, and this is the, the blind guy saying this, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does the, his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the, uh, the eyes of a man born blind. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. That means they threw him out of the synagogue. And when they did, he could no longer participate in temple sacrifice. When he did, he could... When they did that, he can no longer make atonement for his sins. He, there are certain jobs he can't hold now because he's deemed unclean. He is going to be treated like a Gentile for the rest of his life. And all this happens on the best day of his life, the day he gets his eyesight. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
and we aren't told this, but don't you know that if you've been blind your whole entire life, your ear is tuned to certain voices a little better? And he hears this voice, and it's the same voice he heard right before he got his eyesight. And this guy responds, verse 36, Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And this guy knows he's talking to the guy that made him able to see. I'm thinking you're the guy that put mud on my eyes. I'm thinking that whatever you say, I'm with you. You don't have to explain everything to me. doesn't matter. I know that I couldn't see when I woke up this morning, and I can see now. Anybody can spit on the ground and put mud on my eyes and make me see. I don't care who you are. I'll follow you. Verse 36, who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And, and you want to, if you have a pen and you've got your Bible open, you want to circle this. And he worshiped him. I want you to notice that Jesus does not stop that worship. Jesus does not say, don't do that. Jesus receives that worship. You only worship God. And he worshiped him. And, and I think we could all say, we, all of us would, Right? Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who, will see, who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him, and they were kind of hovering around, heard him say this and asked, What? Are, are we blind too? Are you, are you taking a shot at us, Jesus? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Once in a while, I get asked a question. I mean, I don't get it asked a lot, but I get it once in a while. And, and the, the question is, Brett, do you ever doubt? Yeah, are there things that kind of trip you up? And do you have trouble sometimes buying in? Do you ever doubt? Do you know when I doubt? And I do, I doubt. I have doubts. In fact, I've got some doubts that I wouldn't share with you because... <laughs> I just wouldn't i mean i just i'm trying to be your leader and I've, if you heard me say some of the things that i doubt sometimes you probably would, <laughs> wouldn't be good I, I just don't think it would be good but do you know when i doubt i doubt when i get focused on what is unexplainable and i'm not looking at what's undeniable i i begin to doubt when i lose focus on what god has done and i begin to focus on the things that I want him to do that he won't do. I begin to doubt when I start to say things and when my prayers sometimes kind of sound like, God, you won't act the way I want you to act. God, if I were you, and isn't that how we pray? Isn't that how we pray? God, if I were you, and just let me point out you're not, if I were you, this is what I would do. And sometimes my prayers, while I don't say the words just like this because I'm too smart for that, and I know I'm not supposed to say it, but sometimes my prayers, if you read between the lines, kind of sound like this. God, you're not acting within the Brett box. You're not acting within the box that I have decided you need to act in and, and the way you need to behave. Yeah, I doubt. I doubt when I focus on the unexplainable and I don't lock in to what is undeniable. 
someone can hit a 90 mile an hour fastball there's an explanation for it I just don't know what it is so I opt for the undeniable here's what is undeniable this guy shows up in Palestine he is from Nazareth he is a carpenter's son and he has a totally totally irrelevant message for the people of his day love your neighbor pray for those who persecute you those are the kind of things that Jesus was saying if someone asks you to go one mile with them you go two miles with them forgive your enemies and the people in that day and the people today a lot of us would say I don't think so I don't that's not that doesn't help me you know what are you going to do about the Romans that are breathing down our neck and on us all the time that's that's a problem for us Jesus don't be telling me to love my neighbor and love my enemy I mean what's what's in it for me on top of that he made some pretty outlandish claims he said I am personally the light of the world excuse me Jesus where have you been <laughs> I mean you've never been 20 more than 25 miles away from your house and you you show up and you say things like I am the light of the world how can you say that you haven't been around the world you haven't been any further than 25 miles from home you don't even know what's in the world Jesus I'm the light of the world no one comes to the father except by me the father hears me and I hear the father and I do what the father wants me to do these are the things that Jesus came and said he said crazy things his message was was irrelevant we, we should never have heard of Jesus the message of Jesus should have never made it past his lifetime, certainly shouldn't have made it out of the first century. But he also said something else. He said, I will die and I will rise. And hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses will say, we are witnesses of these things. We saw him die, we saw him raised. And they will give their life not for what they say they believed and this is an important point you need to lock in they did not give their life for what they said they believed because people do that all the time there are people dying in the Middle East today there are people who strap bombs to their waist and walk into buildings and they die for what they believe that happens all the time these people died because they said they saw something we saw it we saw this guy walking, we saw him crucified, they put him in the ground, and three days later, we saw him walk. They saw it happen. There, there are men and women all around the world who follow Jesus today, and they could get up and they could tell their story, and it would be eerily similar to the story that you and I would tell about Jesus and how he's worked in our life. I mean, the story would be very, very similar. And you would think that there's some kind of website somewhere where everybody goes to get their story down, and they learn the story, and then they go out and say, okay, this is the story I'm supposed to tell everybody about how I came to Jesus. But there is no website. You, that's not how you learned about Jesus. That's not where your story comes from. Your story comes from this. I'm a mess. Jesus came into my life. It got personal for me. And I can't explain an awful lot of things. But what is undeniable is the presence of God in my life. And I believe that he rose from the dead. And we all basically have that same story. He's changed my life. Do you know what is undeniable? 
There is a hole in your heart that people and things cannot fill. And if you've got a whole lot of money, you can throw money at that hole and you can put things in there and see if something will fit it. You can put people in there and see if that person will fit it. But over time, what you will find, if you've got a lot of money, you can do that for a long time. But eventually, whether the money wears out or doesn't wear out, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to come to the conclusion, you know what, nothing fits that hole. Nothing is working for me. And you can talk about Jesus as a category. You can talk about Jesus as religion. And you can keep it all out there at arm's length. And you can say that all you want and say it as loud as you want, as defiantly as you want. But you know what? At the end of the day, the hole is still there. And it won't go away. And it nags at you. And it won't leave you alone. And you may never say anything to anybody. And you certainly wouldn't say it to somebody like me. Because we, we've, got, we've got to put up the front, right? And we can't be wrong but there's still a hole there do you know why because when God looked down on his creation when he looked down on earth and he saw all the sin he decided not to get send a you know have a Q&A where we could have this discussion he did not decide to send more information or more explanations he decided to do the most personal thing he could do. He didn't send a son into the world. He sent his son into the world to die. To reflect what God is like and to take on the two biggest problems that you and I have. Do you know what the two biggest problems you and I have are? Death and sin. Those are our problems. And he said, I'm going to handle those. And if people come to me they're going to come to me on my terms, and my terms are not intellectual. They are not categorical. My terms are very personal. And, and, and Jesus would say, and I'll wait you out. I'll wait you out because I am personal. I'm here for you to meet you this morning. Just ask yourself the question, am I locked in to what is inexplainable or am I focused on what is undeniable? And if you've been locked into what's inexplainable and that's what's keeping you away from God, then I could take that same logic and move it over and say, well then, you have also got to say that a 90 mile an hour fastball cannot get hit. And you'd say, no, I, I've seen that happen. Well, okay, but it's inexplainable. Well, it doesn't matter. I've seen that happen. Well, if you can buy into that inexplainable thing, why can't you buy into the fact that you might be wrong about who God is? That there, that hole that you're trying to fill with, you know, behavior or money or food or people or, you know, shiny things or whatever, and it's just not working, and no, you don't say anything to anybody, but when you look in the mirror every morning, you know it nags at you, it's there, it will not go away. Why can't you just say, okay, it's undeniable. It's undeni this whole, it, it, it's undeniable that everything I'm trying to put in this hole, nothing fills it. So you know what? I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to get on my knees. And I'm going to say, God, if you're there and you can be known, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to all of my questions. When you humble yourself to the place that you're willing to do that, God will get personal. And this will become very undeniable. And your questions, while they will not go away, all of them, 
all your doubts are not going to go away I'm going to tell you that right now but what happens in your life and in your heart will be undeniable we're going to give you the chance to respond to a call of faith on your life I realize that you may not want to come forward and do that maybe a thing where you want to talk to somebody you can always talk to me you can always talk to our elders you can always talk to the person who brought you or the friend that you're sitting next to somebody here can help you but don't deny God because it's inexplainable because you'd have to deny an awful lot of things in your life that are undeniable let's pray together Father you've made us in such a way that we ask a lot of questions and that's a good thing you want us to ask questions and you want us to use our brain and Father I, I really just pray this morning that people would understand that you don't have to check your brain at the door to believe in Jesus that while we can't explain everything, and I can't explain how you healed this guy who was blind from birth, I, I, that I, makes no sense to me. But I believe you did it. And I can't explain a lot of things that you do in my world. I can't explain the presence I've felt when I'm, when I'm doing certain things, and I know that you're there. I can't explain the times when you've spoken to me, and it's been, it's been undeniable that you were speaking to me. I can't explain it, but I know it's true. And so, Father, my prayer is that all of us in this room this morning would be humble, that we would approach you not based on how smart we are, but really based on how little we know, and just focus on one thing, that it is undeniable that Jesus came to earth, that he loved us, that he showed us who God was. They killed him. They put him on a cross. They buried him in a tomb, and he rose again. Father, I believe that's undeniable. And while I can't explain it, I don't really have to. I just put one foot in front of the other every day of my life and I follow you because it's personal between me and you. And I pray that you'd make it personal for the people in this room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.